Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello, everyone listening. I'm here with Marcus Kane, and we were just talking about um, his Instagram. He had a reel that went viral, and so we were talking about all the the pain and discomforts that come with that, but how cool it is too, and how it really grows you as a person. Mm. Marcus, what are your? I know you just shared with me, but what are your thoughts on all of that? It was just like personal growth, one on one, like realizing <laughs> that like everyone's got an opinion. Not all of them are going to be awesome, but in general, if you look at the maths, like only a very, very small number of the people who see something, you know, hate it. Like most people literally couldn't give a shit. Then there's a, a small percentage of people who will really like what you do and like what you have to say. And then there's a, a much, much smaller percentage of people who are like, right, I have a criticism and my opinion is important, but they don't realize that, um, no one cares. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you guys listening to the podcast, you wish you could have seen his face there. That was pretty funny. The other <laughs> thing that I was thinking and tell you before is um, that people listening should know is that your reels are hilarious. Like your skits that you do <laughs> about disordered eating voice and stuff. I'm like, these should like everyone should find these they're so relatable it's kind of like that feeling you get like is this he spying in my head does he know what i'm thinking because it's just you're spot on with your reels and the comedy that you do with them is just so funny thank you so much it's it's something that like i needed to figure out a way to kind of get the message out there and kind of share my experiences uh as an individual and as a coach in a way that resonated with the people who i'm trying to help and in a really, really strange way, I found that humor really helped me. Uh, and, you know, maybe back in the day, if someone had been able to approach what I was experiencing with like a, an undertone of humor and a bit of good nature, like rather than kind of sitting me down and have the, having this very serious conversation and being like, look, you need to do this and you need to do that. Maybe my journey would have been different, but uh, mm -hmm. I've, I've had a lot of people respond to those reels and just say, you know, oh my God, like watching these makes me feel like I'm not insane because other people are experiencing this too. And just thank you for doing that. So, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's always cool. At, at very least they're giving some people a giggle and making, making us feel like we're not alone. Yeah. Well, that's the big thing is like, people don't want to feel alone and that's where a lot of insecurities come from. So doing something that's relatable like that helps and humor too. I don't know about you, but in my coaching calls, I try to make jokes with people too even though like yeah. we're talking about very serious stuff it's not that making a joke takes away from that but it just lightens the mood a little bit and tells them also like just because this is happening doesn't mean it's the end of the world like it's okay I get it you get it we're gonna be all right we're gonna get through this yeah 100 mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so we want to talk about a lot of different subjects today um one, I was just thinking, because you recently posted that reel about um, how your food journey won't be the same as time goes on. And like, yeah. 
overeating and undereating is really normal in the beginning of recovery. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me, I guess, like what your what are your thoughts on that? Well, the I guess the the best way to kind of talk about that would be in my experience, the very first thing that was like my first step away from having a, a full-blown eating disorder was a, you know, working with a strength and conditioning coach and a, a, like a physiotherapist who worked with the Australian Olympic team. And I'd worked with him for a while in, in different ways. And he mentored me uh, a little bit and he just came and spoke to me one day and said, dude, you look like you just need a fucking feed, to be honest. Like you look, you look like you could do with eating a bit more. And I was like, huh, for some reason, the way that he spoke to me, the way that, you know, his connection that he had with me reached me in a way that all the therapists and everyone else over the previous 10 years hadn't. I was like, huh, this is a person who gets me. He knows what it's like to be involved in, in sport and training and everything like that. And, you know, that led to me uh, giving myself permission to add, you know, to just start by doing things like adding some more carbohydrate into my diet. Cause at the time I was like borderline keto, um, being oh, really strict, strict. So training like that. <laughs> it was rough, <laughs> like mm-hmm. cheese grated to the face rough. Um, <laughs> and- I am, I, um, uh, cut my knuckle on a cheese grater recently. It's oh, awful. I was worst. like, oh my God. <laughs> but anyway. It's, like, it's the worst. It's almost as bad as walking through the bathroom in socks and stepping in water. Like, uh, or like <laughs> especially if you have a dog, you're like, what? I mean, my dog's really good about not using the restroom in the house, but you always are a little bit suspicious. Like, is yeah, this like, something I really from his body? Hope, <laughs> I really hope that's water. Uh, yeah. so yeah, I mean the, the first step that that I made definitely. I mean, the first step that I made away from full-blown binge eating disorder did not look like a balanced diet. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it was a constructive step. It stopped me from having like, you know, these bi-weekly massive binges. But at the same time, um, after my workouts, like after my training sessions, I would eat a relatively big meal that was pretty carbohydrate heavy and you know I was giving myself permission to include a certain amount of literally whatever the hell I wanted in there and it was like it was a huge step for me because if ever I felt the the compulsion to kind of keep eating when after I'd had that meal it was like no no no, it's fine because you'll be training again tomorrow and you can have another post-workout meal tomorrow and whatever. And in no way am I advocating that you should like reward yourself with food after training. That's not Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. It was a far from perfect relationship with food that I had, but it was a first step. Yeah. And it was like, like exactly what you said the other week in terms of however you're eating at the start of the journey is not how you're going to be eating by the end of it Mm -hmm. because it definitely changes. That was just my first step. Yeah. Well, you justifying thinking, okay, we're going to exercise tomorrow and we get another post-workout meal tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't the healthiest thing. If you're like perfectly pretending you're perfectly normal eater and the only way you are allowing yourself to eat something or not eat something is 
will we work, work out tomorrow? Yeah, I'd say like there's stuff to work on there. But oh, like you're was, saying, yeah. it was a micro progression in the right direction. And that's like the same thing for me. I The reason that I allowed myself the halo top every day, um, mm-hmm. for those of you guys that don't know, I posted something on Instagram the other day where it's like when I first stopped binging i was still having daily pints of halo top and like this weird chocolate syrup stuff going through like bottles per week and pretending it wasn't happening but um the way i justified it was it was low calorie and also that i was still working out and i was like you know what we're going to use these calories for that it's totally fine and of course i should have just been able to eat it and not worry about it but um it was enough of a delusion for me and enough of uh like comfort for me that I was able to keep on going and not go back to the behaviors that were even worse. 100%. I think this is something that's really overlooked and it's a difficult topic to talk about. And it's a difficult thing to put information out in regards to, because it's very easy to kind of take it the wrong way and, and take the message the wrong way. Like I would just hope that no one interprets what I'm saying as it's a good idea to kind of reward yourself with food after training and mm-hmm. that you need to train in order to eat. Like that's not, that's not the end goal. The it's just that the message that I was given at that point in time that resonated with me was that, given the training that I was doing and what I was putting my body through and and everything like that from a strength and conditioning perspective, a trusted coach told me that eating more carbohydrates, clean or not, whatever the fuck, uh, will do me some good. And Mm -hmm. I trusted that person enough to believe them and to say, all right, I'm going to do this. But then in that, in then in like the frequency with which that I was including these foods into my diet it then took away how special they were Mm -hmm. those those days that I would usually binge started coming around like Sunday was always a huge day for me like after doing this for a while and having these foods just as like a daily thing even if it was still a bit unbalanced Sunday would come around and I'd be like yeah I don't really need it Mm. yeah the scarcity goes away yeah and that was like that was one of those big first steps but in no way like I was doing some still still had disordered eating patterns at that time and still had some Mm -hmm. body image stuff going on and things are very different now but yeah I guess it comes under that thing of what you said in terms of what happened at the start and what got the ball rolling is not what it's going to look like forever Mm-hmm. absolutely not no like I don't um eat any I, I actually bought some halo top this week so it's curious I was like oh yeah let's try this again or it was just okay it wasn't that good um so I'm glad <laughs> I don't do that anymore um but yeah when it comes to like the scarcity thing too it's interesting because you can tell yourself like you know logically the food is there you can eat the food anytime you want you don't believe yourself when you say that. So I think repeatedly telling yourself things like, okay, we can have a meal tomorrow. And if, you know, what helps you is knowing, Hey, you're still moving. You're still trying to do stuff with your body over time. It really helps building this pattern of look, look, you're eating and you're not binging. And look, you keep, we keep telling you, you can have it. And then you do actually have it. It finally builds trust. I think with the reality of the situation, because even though there is food around everywhere, if you're constantly not allowing yourself to have it, you never believe yourself when you say you can have it tomorrow. That sounds like total bullshit because it's never what you do. And you yeah. always think that it's like, well, no, this is the last time until we 
binge again. So we have to do it now. Um, having those repeated meals for me and having the Halo Top and Hershey's chocolate, it really allowed me to be like, I am allowed to have this as often as I want. And it lost its charm. It, it did. It got kind of boring after a while, which I never thought would happen. Right. Like that's a funny thing as well, that it, it really does lose its charm in a way mm-hmm. that we can't ever imagine happening. And I used to look at people who would say to me that one chocolate frog is the perfect amount of chocolate. And I would just be like, I'll, f- I'll fuck you. Like, don't, <laughs> don't lie. Like no one thinks one chocolate frog is, is, is enough, but. Wait, are chocolate frogs an actual thing in the UK or because yeah, I thought they were just a Harry Potter thing. 100% they're a thing. We have like, uh, you know, the, the, the chocolate brand Cadbury. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The kind of mascot for Cadbury is like this little frog called Freddo Frog. And we get oh these God. little, I, okay, I need to send you some. Because yeah, like I have these, no idea. <laughs> they're, they're super adorable. Like these mm-hmm. little chocolate frogs, like they don't climb out of the, the Hogwarts Express window like we see in the films, but <laughs> right. like, um, yeah, like, and it, it's, I don't know, it's about the size of, about the size of your dad's thumb, I guess. Okay. Like it's, it's maybe like, somewhere I don't know like a Hershey's kiss or something like that yeah yeah it's about Mm -hmm. it's about that same size and I I used to to think of of people who said that that you know they'd eat one chocolate frog and then get on with the day and I'd be like oh just how but Mm -hmm. like you think they're um, lying or there's some sort of freak that they have a superpower you don't know about but now after doing the stuff that we've done I've become one of those people Mm -hmm. and at the time like you said, it's really hard to imagine that that specialness will ever disappear around certain foods. But with the absence of scarcity, we really do get to a point where we're like, yeah, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is it like the demand versus like the product? I'm not thinking the right terms, but it's like supply and demand. Supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's that sort of scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like when it comes to, um, when it, it comes to these types of foods and uh, there's something I want to ask you, I didn't want to talk quite yet about like how you eat now, but there's something in between there. Damn it. I don't know. But, um, like how do you, when it comes to like eating now, do you have any boundaries with those foods? Or no, like the foods that you were eating repeatedly that maybe weren't as quote unquote healthy. Like there were different phases. Um, There was definitely a phase of like unconditional permission. Then there was a phase of slightly, I know, quote, healthier options with some of those foods. Actually, can I ask you, can I interrupt? Unconditional permission. Was there, like, how did you deal with that fear of actually giving yourself unconditional permission? Because everyone thinks, like, I'm going to eat forever. Really savagely honest answer. Um, it, It was about me realizing that I had value and quite a large amount of value outside of the specifics around my physical appearance. So I realized that, you know, I'm lucky enough to, to be in a really beautiful relationship. Like we're getting married in a few weeks. 
Um, really? That's so yeah. exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. we're, we're both just like, oh my God, fucking arranging a wedding sucks. Uh, yeah. And it's lit. And it's even just, it's just like the two of us and our dogs. It's this tiny, like, <laughs> it's this tiny, <laughs> this tiny, like, elopement in the countryside in England. Uh, but we're still like, oh my God, there's so much to organize. Uh, but hilarious. yeah, the, uh, the, um, what, what helped me get past that, that fear surrounding unconditional permission was that I developed a sense of, you know, being a few percentage points, uh, as far as my body fat or body composition goes, either way is not going to affect my intrinsic value as a human being like mm. i there was a few i realized that athletes like i come at a lot of things from a strength and conditioning and, and athlete mindset kind of perspective uh i realized that athletes fluctuate in their body weight and their body composition yeah. the the best of the best the elite athletes they they often can do what they do because they have permission to have certain times of the year, not when they're just flat out binging all the time because they don't need to, um, but they, they're not trying to be competition lean all year round, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not, not just talking about bodybuilders here. I'm talking about other athletes, you know, Olympic athletes and all this kind of stuff. So there was that realization and really internalizing that. And then there was the realization that, right. My, my partner, still feels the same way about me if I'm, you know, 15% body fat versus 8%. She's literally not going to give a shit. And it's more important to her that I'm able to participate in life and go out with her and enjoy a meal and share experiences with her than to be able to stand in front of the mirror every night and go, baby, look how lean I am. She literally doesn't. <laughs> She literally doesn't give a fuck. When we actually met, I, I thought, wow, I'm going to have to be in super good shape to, to date this girl. But she actually told me at one point, she's like, if I hear one more fucking conversation about poached chicken breast and steamed broccoli and macros, I swear it's over. You fuck right wow. off. Like, oh, wow. Um, okay. It, it was, it was, she was joking, of course, but it was like, she mm -hmm. was just a rep around gym bros all the time and she was just like no it's boring yeah uh, long people love you it. for a lot more than just your looks but um, yeah. continue sorry yeah sorry like long answer to a short question but yeah the getting around that fear of unconditional permission was definitely about uh realizing some some lessons in terms of what made me valuable as a human being Mm -hmm. It sounds like, um, in a way, you had to let go of this idea yeah. of like this certain physique, right? And that it, it's all that matters. And I think that's extremely hard for people because then they they assume like if I let go of it, everything like I'm never ever again going to have any of these goals, and um, just gonna completely mm. like end up on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, yeah. It's interesting because like for me. I didn't think that I had to learn those lessons later on. I just started giving myself unconditional permission to eat because I thought I didn't have the ability otherwise. And I was like, this is shit. I need to try something new. I can't do this anymore. So 
Mm-hmm. I did think I did have to let it go, but I let it go because I thought my life was more important. I didn't necessarily yeah. think I had more value. I wasn't completely convinced my boyfriend was going to love me if I gained weight, uh, even though like he would, he did. Right. But I, <laughs> I was like, I just need to do something different. And so I kind of just dove off of a cliff even, yeah. but it ended up being that there was a trampoline there. It was totally fine. And like, it wasn't a big deal, but um, it's funny that like you kind of, maybe you didn't know it entirely, but that was the general direction you're headed in. But for me, it's just like a, a leap of faith. I hear you 100%. I think definitely my own journey had a lot, has a lot of common ground with what you just said. And I think my answer to the original question, if you ask me on a different day, maybe I'd focus on a different part of that journey and a different part of the mm. answer. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there was definitely an element of, of leap of faith in there. And also the acknowledge, like just acknowledging that I just can't fucking do this anymore. Like mm-hmm. it was that, it was that brick wall of like, just it's, it's not working. I can't kid myself anymore. This is not working at all whatever I'm currently doing is not working um and it's costing me yeah it is costing a lot and like what you said with the relationships I know we've talked about it before but when you're focused on like just being lean and being able to look at yourself at night and be like hey look what I look like it's not you're not necessarily all there anymore and you're not really participating in life or your relationship um and I think when it goes into like what you said about athletes and them changing body weights and allowing them to do things for allowing them to eat enough for their performance. Yes. How do you, um, cause we both work out and stuff like that. And, uh, I think we, we've talked about this before, but we both eat in a way that supports our athletic, like things, pursuits that we do. How do you balance that now? I was thinking about this just before this call, because I I know we were talking about discussing this and Mm -hmm. the most concise way that I can put it, if we were to make a tagline out of it would be that the food choices we make bring us closer towards something that we're enthusiastic and passionate about rather than being an attempt to fix ourselves. Mm. So it's a great way to put it. I feel like it makes sense to me because I I make food choices now that from the outside looking in with no context, some people could say, oh, he's trying really hard to eat healthy. He's making all these choices and like, well, not really. Like (laughs) it's, it's not really coming from this position of, oh my God, I need to eat this particular food and I'm not allowed any others because... I need to be as lean as possible all the time. And I, I need to look a certain way. Like I make the food choices I make because I love training the way that I train. I feel like it's taken a long time for me to learn the lessons that I've learned in order to get the, the rewards from training that I'm currently getting. I want to feel good and feel strong and have energy and all this kind of stuff. And Although some of the other phases nutritionally with unconditional permission and everything like that were, you know, somewhat necessary for me, I can't honestly say that I've had great energy levels and have felt absolutely amazing through every single phase. Right. Yeah. So I felt horrible with all that Halo top and the chocolate. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I was I felt more confident around food, but I felt like indigestion and slow and lethargic all the time. So yes. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I think it it gets to the point where it's almost like we we reestablish some degree of trust with our subconscious and our body to the point where we can make food choices that are made in the name of feeling good and performing well and not experience that kind of trigger of like, oh my God, am I on a diet again? It's like, no, 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 no. This this decision is being made from a place of love and self-compassion and enthusiasm for life mm-hmm. rather than I need to fix myself or I'm not enough and I'm trying to bridge that gap. Yeah, I find that a lot of people... Um... One of my clients, she finally just had to take a break from exercise because she was, she loves it. She really does. But at the same time, the she was pushing herself to such a degree that it was not only harmful for her body, but then also the reason that she was pushing herself so hard was this idea that if I lose it, like I have no value, I have no worth. And even though logically she knows that's not true, the subconscious belief is there and it's pretty deep. It's pretty intense. And like, she's so scared to lose it. And so she's just taking a break from it. And I think when you, like both of us, it seems we lift weights, we do our workouts and stuff like that because we really truly enjoy them and love them and they make it feel, feel good and they're fun and enjoyable. But I think beforehand, while fitness was a partly that for me in the past, It was also this, like, if I don't do this, I have no worth, I have no value and I'm not even remotely desirable or wantable or anything like that. And so once you shift away from that, it gets a lot easier to make sustainable choices. It's ironic, isn't it? And and really Mm -hmm. funny how when we're fixated on certain things in terms of, I need to be this in order to be valuable, therefore I'm going to hyper-focus on this and make my entire life about this thing you know, looking a certain way or losing weight or whatever. It's so ironic that that approach of just being hyper-focused on it actually doesn't deliver uh, the same kind of great result as when we've got a more balanced life around Mm -hmm. it. And something that I try to, to get out there as much as possible now is like personal trainers uh of which like i was one like many years ago and and everything Mm -hmm. like that before doing what i'm doing now they love to say that they they have these little taglines like abs are made in the kitchen you know so (laughs) yeah yeah. you know you can't you can't out train a bad diet and all this kind of stuff and they have these little taglines that look great on a business card but they actually suck in terms of real life and then something that i like to say in response to that is yeah, but the decisions that happen in the kitchen are determined by literally the rest of your life. Mm. So if the rest of your life and how you feel on a daily basis sucks, then trying to make food choices that really nourish you and make you feel good is going to be an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was, but you saying that I wrote down um, like not allowed versus I want, I choose. And I think when you are making the decisions from the place of like, I have to fix this, I have to be better somehow, I have to correct what's wrong with me and all these insecurities, 
it feels like you, like you want to have some of those foods, you want to make those choices, but it feels more like you have to, and you have no other choice. Yeah. And then once you finally like have a bit more balance and also are coming at it from a healthier, sustainable way of like, I love this, but I also have other interests. It's not the only thing that can make or break me. You start to make choices or start to make food decisions. Yeah. From a place of choice. And like, I will actually want to do that and have that in my life. And like when I um, have banana ice cream instead of regular ice cream, which like I have regular ice cream. I do, I swear. But if I have that, it's because I, <laughs> So sometimes I've been loving lately, like banana ice cream with protein pancakes in the morning. Delicious. Oh like my this, God, right? <laughs> it's perfect. It's, it's so great. But it's like um, people from the outside may be like, oh, you're not going to have real pancakes and like ice cream. But it's like, no, I, this makes me feel good. Doesn't mess this, my stomach up for the rest of the day. Right. And it's delicious. And I know I'm doing something good for my body and it's going to fuel my workouts. It's great. And you um, are making yeah. it from the source of like wanting it. And it's, and also you can make choices with other foods. If like, I would want the pizza today and trust yourself to know that it's not going to be pizza for three days straight. You're going to be okay. 100%. Mm-hmm. When you said about the banana ice cream, like I had a really strange experience recently with ice cream. Uh, <laughs> oh my... no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as bad as it sounds, but we were having the, the banana ice cream, like my partner makes like this chai banana frozen ice cream type thing which is super delicious and we were having it with like a brownie and then one day Mm, I was like sounds good yeah it was awesome um one day I was like you know what I haven't had like regular like a really nice like normal just vanilla ice cream in a while like you know not like a lean ice cream or something like that like a a full fat maybe with some chocolate chips or something like a really nice vanilla ice cream with this brownie I'm like that's going to be awesome and I decided that's what I'd like to do so I was like yeah that will be delicious and I went out and got some and brought it back and I sat down with my little brownie and the 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 scoops of vanilla ice cream in there was all (laughs) stoked to eat it and I was so disappointed. Because oh my gosh, that's funny. <laughs> like, I, like, I just, it, it, it just hit different to what mm-hmm. it used to. It, it, I didn't experience that same, oh my God, it's just so good. I like, and it would, I, I don't want anyone listening to this to think, oh, fuck you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like regular ice cream is delicious. Don't tell me you prefer the other one. Like, Maybe if yeah, that's not what I'm trying to say here at all. I'm I'm definitely not trying to get on. Yeah, maybe it just wasn't the right ice cream. Also, yeah, I I have no I have no idea what happened, but it's like after unconditional permission, after abundance, after you know, complete absence of scarcity. All of a sudden, something that I used to just love so much just didn't really phase me all that much anymore and and the banana ice cream that my fiance was making was just exactly what I wanted Mm -hmm. yeah I mean we think that uh we think our thoughts aren't that important but uh how we think and perceive things really affects how our body reacts to them I was listening to this one uh it was an Instagram reel, so hopefully credible sources, but he was talking about the study they did where they told um, one participating group that they were going to get a milkshake that was a lean, low-calorie milkshake that had all their nutrients in it for the day. And then the other one was, um, they were telling me they were getting like a super high-calorie indulgence uh, milkshake and all that stuff. 
And the people who got, but they were both the same milkshake, both same amount yeah. of calories. And then they monitored both participating groups and the people who thought that they had the super high calorie one, their ghrelin peaked a little bit and then went down, like way down um, after having the milkshake. And then the people who had the, what they perceived to be a lean, like nutrient dense uh, milkshake, their ghrelin kind of peaked and then leveled out a little bit and stayed the same. So the people who thought they got, you know, lowering calories thought uh, their body reacted completely differently to that milkshake chemically than the other uh, milkshake. And other people are like, we're not hungry at all now, even though they got the same amount of calories. And it's not Mm -hmm. to say that, like, if you continually try to trick yourself and be like, we're we're not having, we're eating totally enough and you're eating like 200 calories per day, that's not going to work out long-term. Of course, your body's like, what the hell is going on? But placebo effect is a thing. And so when you were talking about that ice cream and stuff like that, um, when you don't have all these scarcity thoughts around the food and it's not like the end all be all the ultimate. And a lot of times I would like daydream about my binge food. I'd be like, it's going to be so good. Then you're, you're primed. It's like comedy, right? It's good to prime the audience and be like, Oh, this is going to be funny. And then when you know, something's going to be funny, you're more likely to laugh. So Mm. it's funny when you're eating that, you know, you actually had the opposite. You thought it was going to be good and it didn't work out, but you also didn't have all this drama around food. So it probably made it more of a less traumatic experience. Not having the drama around food is, is such a huge key and something you said in there, I just think is super genius and just kind of nailed it. It's essentially like could be the cornerstone of the whole conversation. You said like, you can't trick yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I think this is it's overlooked really often and so important like our subconscious we we can't lie to our body and our subconscious you know like for example if if we're really really wanting normal ice cream like genuinely really really mm-hmm. wanting it and go and get halo top or something like that and go oh it's fine it's the same thing it's 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 like we have this like inner version of ourselves that's like fuck you buddy that's not what i asked for Mm -hmm. but it's 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 strange like we we really cannot trick ourselves and i've experienced it myself and i've seen a lot of people try to kind of dodge the step of uh fixing that kind of supply and demand thing Mm -hmm. by you know trying all this mindset stuff and and you know mantras and phrasings and everything like that and you know even yeah and it just doesn't there's a time where you just have to do the action too like you can't just do all the thinking without the action yeah It, it it really is like we have this inner intelligence that knows what it wants that we need to build a certain amount of trust with and we we can't trick it if we mm-hmm. work with it it will work with us and and help us to do some really great things but if we try and fuck it over mm-hmm. uh by telling it one thing and giving it another it's just yeah i i feel like that's something that used yeah. to happen to me a lot yeah well and in those things i think what i do now sometimes like before I would be like, I want real ice cream. I want real pizza. Oh, we're going to get like a quest protein pizza or a cauliflower pizza. And we're going to get the halo top ice cream and pretend like that's what we really wanted. Yeah. But now sometimes like, let's say I don't usually have a pizza craving at like eight in the morning, but let's say that I did. (laughs) Um, uh, I usually 
if that comes up, but it's an inconvenient time for me to pizza because it's just not going to settle well in my stomach. Sometimes, or like I just, I had pizza the other day and I don't really want to have pizza again. It's just not going to be great for my performance. I'm kind of like, you know what? We do actually want pizza, but right now it's not the best time. I'll tell them we can have pizza on the weekend. I swear, I promise. And I believe myself because I've proved it mm-hmm. over and over again. And I'm like, but we're going to have something tasty instead, or whether I'm having some pasta or some salad, whatever I'm choosing. So at least I'm honest about what I want. And then I'm doing that anyway. It's like having a conversation with yourself and it's like with a kid, you know, like, here's why you're going to have your dinner first and then maybe ice cream later. It's not that the ice cream is bad. It's just that you also need more nutrients than just an ice cream. Absolutely. What you just said about pizza, then I can really identify with as well, because although maybe my tastes as far as like sweets and ice cream and that kind of thing have changed a little bit since moving away from binge eating. Um, let me tell you, nobody better ever fucking try and trick me in terms of giving me a fucking cauliflower pizza when I want a real goddamn pizza. Um, yeah. There there are no compromises for me to be, <laughs> to be made there. Like, I think that that might be something that's worth uh, mentioning. It's It's not like now... I'm literally just happy with healthy versions of absolutely everything. I think Mm -hmm. it's more that my tastes have changed. It's more like I've, I've gone a little bit more savory. Like if I sometimes I'll want nachos or I'll want pizza or something like that. And we can be damn sure I'm not going to make a healthy version of it. I'm just going to get a, a, whatever it is that I want. Mm -hmm. Though something is, though something that I do for myself, uh, very similar to what you just mentioned is like if I'm sitting around on like a a Friday afternoon winding down after the week or something like that and I've already bought stuff for dinner and it's in the fridge and I'm prepared to cook and I get this kind of like ah I would really like pizza tonight I have this kind of very diplomatic conversation with myself and it's like right I hear you I get it um We've already got some dinner here for tonight. That's going to be delicious. If we Mm -hmm. still like if lunchtime and mid afternoon rolls around tomorrow and we still want the pizza, then 100% I will order pizza that night and I will follow through on it. It's not something Mm -hmm. like you said, not just trying to trick myself into saying, oh, we'll have it later. We can have it tomorrow. We can have it tomorrow. And then never actually having it. Mm-hmm. It's like building that trust with ourselves and with that inner intelligence. Like right now it might not be the best time, but if we still want it tomorrow, 100% we can have it tomorrow and really meaning it. And then if tomorrow comes around, sometimes you want it. Sometimes it turned out to just be a passing impulse, but yeah, building that trust and, and not trying to trick yourself and, it's yeah, yeah super important well the other uh it's a good way thank you for describing that firstly but the other version is like you're some asshole boyfriend or partner <laughs> who's like I had a, a story this one woman told me um where she ordered she t- told her partner like hey I want their partner was trying to get her to drink beer with her and he's like what do you want she goes I just want a diet coke and then he came back and brought her a beer I was like, can you imagine if you did that all the time? Be like, no, I said I wanted this. You'd be so upset constantly and feeling undermined. And so it's like you're being a dick partner to yourself and then wondering why you feel like you need to rebel against yourself. It's like, well, you're not being very nice to you. Absolutely. 
like Mm -hmm. 100% yeah because a diet coke and a beer is the same thing like what the hell no that was a whole different (laughs) argument yeah but yes (laughs) um yeah yeah the uh, I'm still reeling from that sorry I know right there's so many things to unpack there yeah it's not I'd be so pissed (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and it'd be like I asked you for this why are you making decisions for me this is not what I wanted yes it's not good but then we wonder why we get mad or but we act crazy when we treat ourselves that way when we wouldn't Mm. tolerate that behavior with someone else or we'd be able to quickly at least see how it's wrong if someone else did that you'd be like look I'm not feeling seen I'm not feeling heard yes and and you you would like 100% feel resentment for that person immediately Mm -hmm. yet we neglect to see and hear ourselves constantly Mm -hmm. yeah it's weird we have double standards for ourselves and other people (laughs) in a not very good way that's another thing so um i wanted to ask you what's your relation this might be too personal what's your relationship like with alcohol because i find i really need to live in my alcohol intake and now i only the last time i had alcohol was maybe a month ago and it was at Disney and but after like I don't drink alcohol at home anymore and I find that the more alcohol I have the more I want it and so it's like yeah. I really need to be careful with it so what is, how do you handle alcohol I've had a really interesting journey with alcohol um obviously ex-music industry type stuff mm-hmm. like I've full disclosure I've been through times in my life where the only thing that stopped me from being a full-blown alcoholic was the fact that I needed to drive Mm. like uh and because I you know I was so calorie conscious during my music industry days uh and also drinking a lot the drinks just became very very low calorie very very strong until the point where you know I could you know, just a, a glass of vodka wasn't a big deal. And I've not really reached a point or not really done anything to to get rid of that. It's just kind of gone through these organic phases of coming and going. I think my relationship with with training and performance and a desire to feel good has been my saving grace there because mm-hmm. I know damn well if I've got a specific training session planned, it's just like, and I have certain numbers that I aim to hit on certain days based on percentages of my one rep max lifts and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I geek out on it a little bit, but also that helps me not to overtrain as well. So as well as having a target to reach for, it stops me from just trying to guess and mm-hmm. overtraining and being injured or whatever. So if I've got a certain target in mind and I've gotten absolutely plastered the night before i just know that that training session is going to be pushing shit uphill with a pointed stick it's not going to be fun uh i know that you know since turning 30 i've started to get anxiety so hangovers now come with this like (laughs) really interesting yeah so hangovers now come with a little bit of anxiety so it's like um i I re I'm a I'm a fan of vodka. Like I'll I'll I like a really nice vodka. Um I I don't I don't really bother having a drink unless it's something that I that I really like and I'll I'll make myself and and my partner like a nice martini and and that kind of thing. But it, it's organically kind of found this place where we might have a drink on a Wednesday night, 
people usually maybe have a drink on a Friday night, maybe on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, but I think because we struggle so hard just to get our, the work that we need to do done without being hungover. Mm -hmm. It makes it difficult. Yeah. We've spent enough time in our kind of party days and everything like that to, to know that, to know how we want to feel. And, um, yeah, I'm lucky enough to have got out of the alcohol thing relatively unscathed. Mm. So it's kind of organically. Yeah. Well, I think it comes along with, um, your journey with food too, of again, finding out how you want to feel and making boundaries with another substance that can make you feel good, but also like shit, depending on how you use it. Um, for me, it was asked because, uh, people with uh, binge eating disorder and bulimia tend to also have issues with other substances, alcohol in particular. And I never really craved and wasn't a big alcohol person until after I recovered. And then suddenly it was like craving alcohol more often. And I didn't Mm -hmm. think it was a big deal. And then like, I think a few months ago was maybe like three months ago now. Yeah. When I just was like, I'm not drinking at home anymore. No way. It wasn't like I was drinking every day or anything, but it was like Friday and Saturday would be my days to have some sort of alcohol, but I found myself like really looking forward to it and like wanting yeah. it. I was like, this is yeah, like weird. Counting down. A little bit. It wasn't like I was obviously functional and everything and able to do my job, but I was like, this feels too similar to binging in a way. It wasn't as nearly as destructive, but I could see how it could play out. And I also found that it, it really affected how I felt and being, I'm like, I guess I'd say I'm super curious now. I heard that that was a term um, recently, <laughs> but like, it's just only on vacations or when I'm going out for a special events. But uh, yeah, for me, it's the same thing. It's like, it doesn't make me feel very good if I have it that often. And even though there's sometimes like, I'll, I'll want it, but then I'll have a conversation about, it. is it important? That diplomatic conversation you're talking about earlier. It's like, yeah, is it important to us right now? And maybe we can have one later if we really want to. And like, just kind of going over what you really want versus what you want in the moment. Um, yeah. So that's my experience with alcohol. Yeah. We've definitely, we've definitely got some parallels there and, mm-hmm. and coming to that point where we just getting in touch with, again, an- another cornerstone of maybe the whole topic is getting in touch really and being really honest with how something makes us feel not mm-hmm. in the moment, but in the, in the hours afterward and the next day and everything. And, you know, we don't want to use that to actively deprive ourselves of anything that, you know, is, is fun or brings us joy. But at the same time, it's that cost to benefit ratio. And Mm -hmm. um, again, my, my partner, she has this little question that she asks me now when it comes around to, you know, if we want to drink or not, if we're ever on the fence and like, sometimes I'll say, do you fancy a drink? And she'll say, are you, choosing to have a drink right now because you'd like to have some fun and and just like have a have a slightly tipsy conversation and and have a nice (laughs) evening or are you drinking right now because you're feeling something that you don't want to feel and you want it to go away (laughs) i'm I'm like ah well (laughs) i feel both seen and called out uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really un- like getting the difference between those two things. Like, am I drinking because this is fun or am I drinking to medicate? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it was becoming for me. And it was swimming, it was like very structured, very controlled, very like, oh, it's not, but it just, even though it wasn't causing a gigantic thing in my life. And now that I don't drink all the time and I'm, I'm relatively sober other than like random events, it has made a significant difference in how I feel. I feel a lot better without it. Um, yeah. But before it was kind of like, I just want to, I just want to have that little numbing agent. I just want to like not feel for a little bit. Cause you know, life's hard. It's anxious and everything. And like, yeah. there's a lot of things <laughs> yeah. to worry about. So like alcohol definitely cuts it, but it's like, you just have to be present and figure out other ways to deal with it, which is, has helped me a lot. And the funny thing yeah. at those sort of rewarding substances is like, if you can handle it, it's fine. But um, I find that, you know, you get the first reward, but then you need more and more depending on how your chemistry is working. Yeah. That's like, uh, I, I not, not proud to admit that there were certain stages of my life when I I'd go through a bottle of vodka a week. And mm, that was yeah. like, you know, okay, I, I get never... it with the Hershey's bottles, <laughs> <laughs> not the same thing. <laughs> but... I think in, in Australia, we had something that's similar. It was called ice magic. And it was yeah. like this chocolate thing that you put over ice cream and then it sets really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like the worst moment of my life, I think, was as a child, my mum put the bottle of ice magic in the fridge. So it like all set and went all <laughs> yeah. hard. And I was so excited to go and eat my ice cream because it was such a treat. I very rarely ever got anything like that. As a kid, it was a very clean eating household. So I ran to the fridge. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And it was just like, <laughs> my my little heart just broke because this this bottle had just set solid. But yeah. um, you have to put it in, like you have to full of, fill a bowl of like water um with hot, hot water warm water and then put the bottle in there let it oh, so you've been there I, i'm telling you i went through bottles per week so and there were and it was during <laughs> a winter months when this happened in colorado so it was cold and the, the but it would get frozen like in or not frozen but it would solidify and so you gotta i think it was made with coconut oil which makes sense that has a yeah um different temperature so yeah it was definitely not healthy but anyway you were saying bottle, bottles of vodka and i immediately thought yeah. of this thing well no i mean both are very delicious um yeah <laughs> I, I went i went through phases where where yeah i i drink a bottle of vodka a week and you know in hindsight a lot of my issues with food were from trying to distract myself from whatever I was feeling just Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously the same thing with alcohol so yeah it makes sense that the people who struggle often struggle a little bit with both Mm -hmm. yeah maybe it's good to see our different perspectives like I think you can have um have it a bit more often and it'd be okay. And then for me, I have to have more firm boundaries with it. And I think just being honest again about what it is that's doing for you and what you can handle is important for then how you can set those boundaries. Yeah. Looking at things from the perspective of being an individual rather than thinking that you can take somebody else's formula and just apply it to your life, Mm -hmm. I think is one of the most valuable things that that we can chat about and and talk to people about because in the kind of era that we're in with all these diet books and you know everything like that out there that basically says look this this is this cookie cutter kind of recipe for success that if you do exactly this you're going to be just fine and it's not like we can't draw inspiration from someone else's formula but at the same time I've, I've seen a lot 
that I'm sure you have as well, that lasting success and, and the long game is more about your individuality mm-hmm. and finding the way that works for you, taking maybe some broader principles, but then going, all right, within those broader principle principles, uh, what balance best serves me? Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Um, with my program, like I give people, uh, I give people standard methods for how to go through an urge and how to handle like what, when they want to purge and stuff like that. And intuitive yeah. eating, there's like this standard method that they can use that try to break down really simply. But then of course, even though that relatively works, they find their own little things within that, like you're saying, that work for yeah. them. Like maybe they pause for a little bit longer or maybe they have to catch it a little bit earlier or they have diff- slightly different thoughts than what I recommend them do or different ways of handling it that I never thought of. And it's all individual. This room, there's so many different metaphors for this because it's in everything. But I think of um, art because I'm an artist as well. And uh, they, when I was in art school, they're like, you need to know the rules enough to be able to break the rules. And so they teach you the standard principles, how to draw, right? And how to do these things. And then, but if you're only following the rules, you're never going to have your own style. It's never going to be super original. So if you can then break free and add your own flair, at first it looks kind of like an error, but it really is just you making your own unique piece of art. So it's important. I think that... Go ahead. Really... I was just going to say, I think that really nails it. Like you mm-hmm. have to know the rules before you can break them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and yeah, I love that. And by the way, because like our, like um, our Instagram followings and social media followings, like have some crossover and everything like that. Like mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the same people follow both of us. Like I've heard really good things about your course, by the way. Oh, thank uh, you. Like I appreciate anyone, it. Anyone who follows me and, and who's chatted with me and who's, told me about their work with you and everything. They've always got such good things to say. So obviously oh. you're doing some really amazing stuff because I always I hear really it. good things. Yeah. If someone says like, it's not good, please tell me so that I can know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I've never heard that. I've okay. not really heard that. <laughs> you don't have to tell me who it is. Just tell me like what they said so I can improve it. But yeah, that's always good to hear. It's another thing. Like you always imposter syndrome. This is completely unrelated to bulimia recovery. And I know we need to go soon, but um. I don't think imposter syndrome will ever go away when it comes to like helping people and stuff like that. And like when it comes to eating disorder, even though you are recovering and you're doing well, there's always that little voice in the back of your mind that's like, you're going to fuck it all up. It's not real. <laughs> and it's like, you just have to keep on going because clearly that voice isn't right. And you have a, you have a lot more things that you're doing right. And you're actually being successful, but it just, it never goes away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These little voices, I think we all have them in in little areas i fucking hate mine bastards (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah they're they're there and well i um when it came to i was talking about this other day i don't know if we talked about it before either but um the best advice i heard on that was to treat it like a backseat driver like they're the best of intentions they're trying to keep you safe they're a little anxious just tell them, like, give them a blanket and be like, it's okay, I'm driving the car. It's fine. Like, it's going to be all right. I <laughs> get a, it. It's fine. That's a really good way to think of it, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, I know you said we are both on Instagram and have, like, I'm sure a lot of people listening already know who you are. You've been on this podcast several times and I think I'll be on your podcast too. So hello, Marcus's yeah. podcast listeners. Um, <laughs> but where can people find you at? And then I'll say where people can find me. Uh, MK and coaching on Instagram, on TikTok, 
And also my website is mkaincoaching. So that's M-K-A-I-N coaching. Literally, it's the same, uh, same name across my website, Instagram, and TikTok. Awesome. And where can people find you? They can find me. Um, easiest is just bingebakers.com. It's my website. And then Instagram is bingebakers underscore bulimia. If you just type in bingebakers, um, you'll find me. And then podcast, uh, bingebakers podcast, uh, same thing. So awesome. um, yeah, lots of different resources there. And I just came out with a free course so people can find that there if they're looking for help and they don't they're not sure where they want to go but it's a free resource that tells them you know, how not to binge and purge and that sort of stuff so they can find awesome. that on my instagram cool nice one mm-hmm. yeah I've, well I've... it's been good talking with you as usual um always, anything yeah, else this... to say no i just i always enjoy our chats and i always think that they're really fun and we touch on some really really important stuff and mm-hmm. it, as always i'm just really um like I appreciate you and I love your sense of humor about the topic and everything like that. Uh, Thank you. Likewise. Yeah. It's just so valuable to be able to, you know, talk about this stuff, but also have a smile about it at the same time, because I don't know where I'd be without that attitude. So it's really nice to, to share that with you. Yeah. Well, I think what you're doing too is the same thing. And um, what we're both doing helps normalize it. And I've heard heard a lot of people say like, no one uses the term bulimia as often as you do and that sort of stuff. And they always thank me for it because like people are talking about this and you're Mm. same thing. Like there's not a lot of people that are discussing it as openly and as honestly as I think you are. So it's, it's great that you're doing what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you, mate. Yeah, of course. All right. Bye everyone listening. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>